This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. New York State rolled out its first Regents exams based on Common Core in algebra. So the Common Core versions of their Regents exam is much harder. They said, don't worry, we're going to create a scoring system so that roughly the same percentage of students would pass the test as they did in the past. I mean, where would they find, you know, help? Where could they learn this? How about from their teacher? The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday mornings, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, America is the greatest country in the world. Thank you so much for being here. Hope you had a great Saturday so far. Hope you had a great Fourth of July weekend as well. We uh, have a lot to do today. Uh, a lot happened last week. The summer's supposed to be slow. Uh, it certainly has not been. A lot of important things. One thing that I'm, I'm uh, I don't want to say I'm happy about, I'm certainly not happy about it, but uh, that the uh, murder of the 32-year-old in San Francisco by an illegal immigrant, I'm glad that it's not off the front pages yet because this story deserves more than the usual drive-by treatment. So let's chat about it. Two lies that I've heard today that we need to clear up and make sure they don't uh, spread anymore. I read one uh, CBS San Francisco article, quotes a legal analyst, uh, legal analyst Stephen Farkas, says that uh, the, the woman appears to be an innocent victim of, of, of what? What do you think? An innocent victim of what? <laughs> it's a good game. Innocent victim of what? Doped up illegal immigrant? No, no, no. Even an innocent victim of gun violence? Nope, not even that. She is an innocent victim of a tragic bureaucratic bungle. A tragic bureaucratic bungle. Wow. Uh, Quote, what needs to be done here is better communication between the federal government and the cities. Nope. Mm Mm-mm. There is plenty of communication going on here. This is not a lack of communication problem. This is a lack of willingness from San Francisco to cooperate with ICE. Very big difference. This is not the case of a bureaucratic bungle. Don't get me wrong. There's plenty of those. That's not this. This is the obvious consequence of a very deliberate action from San Francisco lawmakers. They sat down. They debated, they decided, we're not going to listen to ICE. It's not a bungle. This is a conscious decision that San Francisco has made, starting with Gavin Newsom, that they are not going to cooperate with the federal government uh, with ICE. It doesn't matter how clear ICE is or how many times ICE calls or how streamlined the bureaucracy is. San Francisco has has decided not to cooperate with ICE. So to call this a bureaucratic bungle is incredibly offensive to the girl's parents, especially the dad who had to watch her daughter, his his daughter die in his arms because of a purposeful, calculated, and celebrated sanctuary city policy. That's the worst part. It's a celebrated policy. It's not even... It's not like, well, you know, I didn't, gosh, we didn't even know that this, 
This is what was happening around here. No, they celebrate this. So don't let anyone tell you this is a bureaucratic bungle. Second point. The mayor, Ed Lee. He said the city's policy, which is proof right there that it's not a bureaucratic bungle. It's the policy. He says the city's policy, quote, never intended to protect repeat serious and violent felons. Well, you know what? It, 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 it does. <laughs> uh, of course, that wasn't your intention, but that's what your policy did. So what are you going to do? Are you going to change the city's policy? Let's just do something very basic that we can all agree on, right? Uh, Chris from uh, Ramona called in in the last segment, wrapping up the hour. He said, Slater, I'm very bullish about 2016. I'm feeling good, optimistic, got a lot of good candidates. And then he said something very nice. Very nice, although not true. He said, there's people like you on the radio who can uh, have more influence than, than all the money that Hillary Clinton can, can put together. Very nice, Chris. Not true. Uh, I have our role. Your role is far more significant in influencing people. So what I want to do for the next, I don't know how many days till the election, we got to talk about things that we can all agree on. Now we got to talk big picture, right? Big picture, final goal, all that good stuff. But we got to talk about things we can all agree on so that you can go with your group of friends, bring this up in polite conversation, and have every single person around the table, no matter what their political view, say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Basic, basic, simple things. And then if we start doing a little more of those, right, we get the ball rolling, then we can start introducing a little more little more uh, conservative ideas. And but let's get everyone saying yes to some very simple things first. So let's do that with San Francisco, right? Illegal immigration. Oh, very contentious issue. Don't talk about this in polite company. Okay, well, I got something we can all agree on. Here's the deal. San Francisco. Your policy right now is illegal immigrants. You can uh, live here. You can uh, stay here. You can work here. We're not going not gonna to report you to ICE. Ever. You can commit fi- seven felonies and be deported five times. We're never going to report you to ICE. Okay, that's your policy now. How about, how about, how about, we have a policy of San Francisco. You can be in an illegal immigrant sanctuary city. But when you commit a felony, you've lost your sanctuary status. Sorry, ah, man, we'd love to have you, <laughs> really would. Uh, but when you committed that felony, mm, can't be here anymore. Gonna have to report you guys. D- don't, I mean, don't, don't you think that's something we can all get behind? Your progressive friend, your middle-of-the-road friend, your friend who doesn't care about politics. I think that's a common sense enough. That, hey, you know, illegal immigrant, oh, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. Uh, have you committed a felony? Yeah, it's... No, that's that's not that's not good anymore. You can't, you can't be here, having committed committed a felony. I think we can all jump on board that bandwagon, right? Let's use the house analogy, right? Because um, this is often used for immigration analogies. Let's say you are with your wife and your kids, 
when you're relaxing in the living room, right? Friday night, watching a movie together in the living room. Fun times. Someone comes into your house unannounced. Now, you're a nice guy, just like uh, all your friends are nice people, right? So this person comes in, and uh, you don't know them, but they start making popcorn for everyone. Oh, all right. Maybe you can stay. And if this person comes in and sits down in the chair next to y'all and enjoys the movie, all right, (laughs) you can stay. And if this person comes in and maybe, I don't know, gives you five bucks for the the red box rental. Like, all right, all right, all right, you can stay. We're all good, right? But if this person comes in and starts changing the channels, and starts kicking the walls and tears the TV off the wall and literally murders your daughter. I think we have a problem now. So can we use that analogy into real life here and just say, okay, fine, San Francisco. All right, you want to be a little sanctuary city? All right, whatever. But let's draw a line. Because before, before last weekend, there was no, there's no line. Let's all agree on this line. And that line is you commit a felony. I think everyone can agree with that, right? I want to play a clip here from uh, Ann Coulter on the show yesterday. Um, the idea that Americans in their own home have to walk on eggshells and treat immigrants to this country like special little guests and, oh, let's be nice around the children. No, no, we didn't do anything to you. No, you should be grateful to us. You should be trying, figuring out how to make Americans think you're really peachy rather than us trying to suck up to the immigrants. It's our country. It's one thing to be walking on eggshells and being careful about, about language, about illegal immigrants, and so on and so forth. Um, the words we're not allowed to use, amnesty, self-support, it's getting to the point that Mexican is the M word. Um, it's one thing to be sensitive to the race issue when we are talking about African Americans. As I describe over and over in my book, it is solely because of the legacy of slavery and Jim Crow, by the Democrats, I might add, that Americans have civil rights laws, that America has the 14th Amendment. We do owe something to black Americans. And now we have people who set foot in this country for the first time yesterday and start demanding that we treat them as if they're black Americans. No. If you have grievances, go home and address the perpetrators. We don't owe you anything, and you owe us a thank you. Zan right there. Doing what Ann does best. Here's something I find strange about the current dynamics in America. See if you can make sense of this for me. There's two murders in this country that everyone should know about. First, the the woman in San Francisco killed by an illegal immigrant who seven felonies has been deported five times already. That's number one. Number two, the seven-year-old boy who was killed in Chicago last weekend. One of three people killed, 27 other wounded by shootings just over an eight-hour time period in Chicago. You heard that right. Eight hours, 30 people shot. In one city. Now you know I'm all about personal responsibility. And every single person involved here made their own decision on whether or not they were going to shoot and kill someone this weekend. But both of those cases are institutional problems. Why was this guy allowed to walk the streets of San Francisco after five being deported five times and seven felony convictions? What is going on in Chicago that 30 people are shot over eight hours and no one seems to care? These are institutional problems, and I'm so sick of one political party holding the mantle of caring about people. You know what I mean? Right? I care about the 32-year-old who was killed on that pier 
and who died in her father's arms. I care about the seven-year-old boy who was playing in his front yard of his house and was killed in a drive-by. I care about those people. When will that ever be worth anything? And you know who should be complaining about these things? Not me. <laughs> I, should, I shouldn't. And if, yes, I, I, of, course, of course I should. Take this in the spirit it's intended. But I'm a 30-year-old, white, privileged, middle-class, heterosexual male. I got everything going for me. You know who should be freaking out about this? Immigrants. Fred immigrants. Who, who this guy gives a bad name. And black people. Right? Who have people terrorizing their neighborhoods. They're the people who should be caring about those two murders. They should be begging this nation for help. The situations they're in right now. And how they're being portrayed based on actions of some. Instead of feeling like we're begging them. Right? We're the ones hey, we should fix this problem. They're like, ah, nah, we're fine. Like, whoa. No, 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 no. Shouldn't you be outraged? Shouldn't you immigrants be outraged? Shouldn't you black people be outraged that 30 people were killed in your, or shot in your city this last weekend in Chicago? Why do I care? You're the one who should be caring. And it's crazy. I hear a lot of people be like, whoa, whoa, that's not us, right? That murderer, he's not us. Don't look at me. wasn't me. That's not us. As opposed to that murderer, he is not us. And we are going to do everything it takes to make sure that something like this never happens again because that murderer is not us. See the difference between those two things? Same words. Whoa, not us. Whoa, hey, whoa, whoa, not us. Versus that is not us. The first one tries to brush it off, right? The first one's like, whoa, I, I didn't do it. And the other tries to make sure that it never happens again in all of our names. And when you have city leaders who call what happened in San Francisco a bureaucratic bungle. And, well, that wasn't the intention of our policy. It sounds a lot like, whoa, wasn't us. one 888 And I'd love to hear what you think on the Twitter as well. Slater Radio on the Tweet Machine. Mike Slater Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Generation of Talk Radio. Slider Crusaders, thank you for being here. one 888 Alright, this is just my observation of uh, the media cycle from last, uh, last week. We had uh, two murders. One more high profile, the uh, San Francisco murder, of course, where the 32-year-old woman was killed by the illegal immigrant. But also what happened in Chicago last weekend. 30 shootings in Chicago over an eight-hour time period. Three of those people were killed, including a seven-year-old boy. Not enough attention on that one. But I, I would think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would think there would be certain people who would be the most outraged at these two murders. And I'm not seeing a lot of outrage out of 
enough people uh, and of, of, certain, of those types of people that I think would be leading the charge. I'll give you, for instance, I want to go to Joe here. For instance, would be uh, the uh, Charleston shooting. Right? Of course, no one talked about what happened after the Charleston shooting, the Unity Bridge and the rest. By the way, we made a YouTube video about that. Miles, is that our highest rated uh, YouTube video, I think? I think our fastest growing. Oh, that's pretty good. We'll take it. Semi-viral. Can we say sure, that? I think I think we can, we can go. We take give it the V tag on it. Yeah, <laughs> somewhat viral. Yeah, uh, we put it on Facebook yesterday. It's going it's going well. It's fun. Um, so we talked about Charleston. What really happened from June twenty second to June twenty fourth, other than the Confederate flag controversy, and it was the Unity Bridge, where you had a a white, what are you twenty one years old, kill a bunch of black people. Okay, so who reacted to that? Who reacted to that? Well, the Unity Bridge was a white housewife. She thought she'd put a little Facebook uh, event together, have a couple of her friends get to the bridge, do some singing, some praying, walk across the bridge, show some solidarity to the, uh, the victims' families. And some friends did show up, 15,000 of them. But that was led by a white person, right? So, so because the white person wanted to say, whoa, this guy, nah, ooh, not in our name. This guy does not represent Charleston. This is who we are, really. Right? So, so... I think that is a perfect response to what happened in Charleston, which is why you didn't hear about it. I don't see that with these two murders. Why not? Why not? Where is it? Like, I'm the one who's outraged. I shouldn't be. I should be outraged, but I shouldn't be the most outraged. There should be other people more outraged than me. Joe's in San Diego. What's up, Joe? Good afternoon, Mike. And to you, sir. Well, the thing is, you're answering your own question. The black kid was killed by a black person. The white girl was killed by the, you know, the, me- the, the, the illegal immigrant, the Mexican guy. Thing is, they're, they're, the interpretation is, is that they're both victims already, not the, not the people who got shot, but the people who did the killing. And the thing is, though, is that you know, the left controls the narrative because if that was a white person doing the killing, the first thing is the incumbent in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue would be like, well, folks, uh, white people need to stop killing minorities. Uh, and that'd be the first thing. That was pretty My good, though, by the way. That was pretty good, Joe. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. That was good. <laughs> and also, my friend, quite a few people had had a different conversation with uh, liberals. Thing is, though, is that it, you're dealing with people that don't tolerate and don't listen. One of my buddies was talking about something in combat during Thanksgiving meal, and his liberal family members in Minnesota were saying, "Well, you're a liar. This is a person who's been in combat, so you can't really <laughs> negotiate with these type of people." Just like what Donald Trump is saying. He's not he's just telling you nothing but the truth. I mean, maybe, you know, it's glamor glamorizing a little bit. But well, we call him a racist for just saying the truth. Yeah. So the thing is though, you you're the wrong person that died, I mean the, the wrong person that did the killing was, was not white. Now if it was white people, you you know, everybody be up in arms burning flags or doing whatever they could do. Yeah, that's it. Joe, you the man. Always good to hear from you, brother. Appreciate you being here. Um, I love that line. They're already the victims. Right, the, the black person who shot the seven-year-old boy, he's already the victim. The illegal immigrant who, who murdered the, uh, the white woman, already a victim. Wow, that's a really good point. one 900 We don't have time to play this now, but I was looking uh, to see people, uh, other groups that they were speaking out against these murders. And I did find a speech from David Campos is his name. He's a San Francisco supervisor. And he said, he's had a big speech, 200 people at the rally holding signs in, in, in Spanish. Uh, and he said, hate like this sh- will never define our community. And I said, oh my gosh, maybe I was wrong about this whole thing. Maybe they are speaking out against this. You know what he was speaking out against? Vandalism. 
against a mural of gay Hispanics. Someone vandalized the mural. He was saying that doesn't define us. But but speaking out against an illegal immigrant murdering a 32-year-old woman. Silence. Silence from all of them. Definitely. 1-888-933-93. Mike Slater Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. generation of talk radio thank you for being here we're going to talk more about immigration coming up a little later uh, including an interview with ann coulter but first i want to talk about a uh, an article that was written by uh, in the federalist by ben dominich and he wrote just what i needed to hear this weekend last week i think i said that this is a great time to be alive everything is changing in front of us nothing makes sense anymore it's all backwards and you may think that's a terrible time to be alive because it's everything's deteriorating and it's hopeless. Now that just makes this time to be alive all the more important. All the more exciting and all the more important. I want to live in a time that's important. And hold me to this, please. So I'm always super optimistic. Maybe it was when we talked to Dr. David Jeremiah last week too. And like I'm a super optimistic guy to a fault. And when Dr. David Jeremiah from Shadow Mountain out optimizes me, it like sets me straight. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm being way too negative here. And that's just not my nature. And it didn't, it didn't feel right. So I think it was that. And it was this article I read, which we're gonna talk about in a second. It just sort of snapped me back. Yes, things aren't great and things are really strange. But that's just all the more opportunity. So hold me to this, please. I'm no longer going to complain about what other people are doing. Now, I'll point it out, of course, because we need to know. But I'm not going to complain about it. Because why? <laughs> I mean, like Complaining about it doesn't change their actions. And it doesn't strengthen ours. Right? Now, of course, we need to mention it and see what's happening and uh, you know, whatever. But, but we're not gonna, I'm, just, I'm just not going to spend a second complaining about what other people are doing. It's just wasted breath. And we only have so many words. And the fact that Glenn, I don't know if you heard, but Glenn is out for the month, I guess. Um, Glenn Beck. He has a paralyzed vocal cord or something like that. I remember he was telling the story a while back about his vocal cords and the doctor didn't know who he was. I don't know how you could not know if Glenn Beck was it, right? How would you not know? But uh, he's like, oh, you know, you probably can't shouldn't talk for a while. Is that going to affect how you do your business? And he's like, no, should be fine. Just Morse code the entire. Yes, that will affect my business. But I guess he's out for, for the month. So it just got me thinking about, you know, we only have so many words. I don't want to spend a lot of those complaining about what other people are doing. So. What do we do instead? Here is Mr. Dominich, his suggestion here. I got two paragraphs I want to read. He says, culture wars are at their best 
when both sides have to rely on persuasion to win people's hearts and minds. Culture wars are at their worst when they turn into an excuse for censorship and conformity. So maybe it's time to divert less of our energy into outrage at the backward values of the other guy and more of it into making the case for our own values. Competing over who can provide the most appealing, inspirational, and profound cultural vision. That is to say, who can serve, who can best serve humanity's deepest spiritual needs. Instead of having a culture war, let's turn it into a culture blank. I love this word here. A culture what? What do you think? Instead of it being a culture war, let's turn it into a culture what? Now, uh, don't get me wrong. Not a, a culture kumbaya, right? Not a culture, hey, you're doing great, right? Not a culture free for all. A culture competition. A culture competition, which means to say, Ooh, I don't think that's the best way of doing that, but I'm going to do the best way. I think it, I, it should be done, and then uh, we'll let people decide. So it's not a culture war. It's a culture competition. Diedrich uh, or uh, Dominic goes on to say, he says, at the very least, we might produce some enduring cultural achievements, and this era might be remembered for more than just the acrimony of its divisions. One last paragraph. He says, this is the hopeful side of the culture wars, a call for engagement, not retreat. Religious believers weighing the option of withdrawing from a culture increasingly hostile to their values. Have you ever felt like that? You're like, oh, geez, what is happening here? I give up. <laughs> I'm just going to retreat back to my safe space because I, this is so absurd. I'm not even... I'm out of here. He says, instead of doing that, we got to redouble our efforts to cultivate our ideas within active subcultures that influence the nation and the next generation of Americans. Those who share a commitment to the freedom of th to think, speak, associate, publish, publish, and express their beliefs may not have the ACLU in our corner anymore. But that just means that we get to take up the noble cause and the moral authority they have abandoned. How good is that? Love that last line. As the left retreats from their moral high ground, because we've talked before about how the left has switched their principles. Um, they used to be like, oh, have freedom, live, let live, do what you want. And now it's you must conform, right? So they've retreated from their moral high ground to take the you must comply approach. Right? They're the more puritanical group than, than the, the conservatives. So they've left their moral high ground. There's no reason to complain about that. That's great news. It's all the more reason to take it from them. Let's take it from, we don't have to take it from, just walk up. We, let's live there and encourage others to join us. He says that we are in the cusp, uh, on the cusp of a cultural overreach, right? And he outlined a couple of different times in history when the one person who's winning the culture war, they go way too far. And then it's like, wow, everyone it's like, what? And then we go back the other way. And then the other side goes way too far the other direction. Be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not what we signed up for. He says that the left is going way too far with, with too heavy of a fist. And he says there's going to be a backlash against that. Uh, sure, fine. And that's all good. But unless we're ready to receive the backlash, who knows where that backlash is going to end up? Just something else bad. 
I was talking to a friend. First of all, so, so please hold me to that. Right? Always talking the truth, never abandoning that. Please don't get me wrong. But a little less complaining. So if you hear me, Eric, you know how we have a sarcasm alert? Let's get a, let's get a complaining alert. Right when you when it, when the when it, there's a line between ranting and complaining, right? When you, when we when we approach that line, just give me a, a little fair nudge, and then if I go full sprint towards it, just tackle me, do a little Terry Tate. We'll do we'll me. do complaints. I think of like a whining baby. So yes. maybe maybe some of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't want to ever be anywhere near that. We have way too much that we stand for. Way too much that that we believe in, um, to even be facing that direction. I was talking to a friend this morning about this, sort of. And uh, here's what he noticed. I like this. He said that we are living in a country. Now, hear me out, because first this this sounds wrong, but I think it's right. We're living in a country that is more tolerant and accepting and, quote-unquote, loving than ever before. Now, of course, put away the race baiters and the social justice warriors and the people burning the American flag and all that. Right? Put, put, around, put aside the people who make the headlines and think of just your friends, right? the circle that you operate in, the people who you hung out with this 4th of July. Most everyone I know follows the nice guy doctrine of life. Right? Just, oh, you know, love everyone, accept their differences. You know, no put downs, pass it around. That was what we learned in fifth grade, right? No, no put downs, pass it around. You know, uh, everyone gets along. It's the Barney approach to life, right? Like, I love you, you love me. It's a big happy family, blah, blah, blah. Do, do you agree with that? Like, the people you know, people you love, like, everyone's just, everyone's trying to be nice to other people. It's the nice guy doctrine. Here's the problem. Fast forward 15 years. Fast forward 15 years, and there will be one group of people who are known as the people who are full of the most hate. Fast forward 15 years, and there's a chance that there will be one group of people who are the least accepting and the least loving of anyone else in this country. And that's be Christians. That'll be the Christians. And everyone who grew up with this culture of, you know, love everyone, everything's awesome, we're all different and unique and great, they're going to look at Christians and say, man, they just hate. All they do is hate everyone. And that's not right. <laughs> so there's a balancing act between how to hold on to the truth, which don't get me wrong, I'm never saying we should let go of. How do we hold on to the truth? And how do we do it with loving, with love for everyone? How do we, you got to do both those things at the same time. How do we, how do, we do that? How do we hold on to the truth and how do we do it with love for everyone. Because the truth part, that, um, how do I word this? The, the, the Barney generation, right? Like, I love everyone, everyone's great. That's what they're missing. They're missing the truth, but they got the love down part. The love part down. Right? They're missing, they got the love part. I would love everyone, but they're missing the truth. And some people have the truth and they're missing the love. Neither of those are going to work. You need both, and it's going to be of the utmost importance to figure that puzzle out. 1-800-760-KFMB, 1-800-760-KFMB. Coming up next. 
two videos going around the interwebs right now. Opposite videos. There's actually a good example. Though. Two opposite videos. We choose which culture we want to have. We're going to play and talk about both of those next on the Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is Mike Slater. So I watched two videos over the week, uh, and we have to decide which country we want to be. Uh, first video, uh, the headline is Horror. Black youths mock and laugh at unconscious and bloody victim after July 4th beatdown. There's a white guy laying on the ground, blood all over his face. I didn't see what happened before this point, but there's a group of maybe 20 kids around him laughing and, and taunting him, laying on the ground, out of it. And it's sad because no no one comes to his aid for the, the two minutes in, in the video, at least. And we see a video like this about once a week. So that, we have that in our society. And there's another video that I'm seeing all over Facebook. It's from 2009, but for some reason it's, it's, it's going viral again. And it's a clip of Divorce Court, of all places, with Judge Lynn Toller. I don't have time to play the video right here, but I want to read what she's talking about. Um, she's talking to a black male and she says, stop thinking that you can just go to jail and it's going to be all right because we need you taking care of your business, financial and emotional business. We need you taking care of your business. And she referenced an article that she wrote a couple years back. And this is what the article, it's called 19. She says, I lost 19 again today, referring to just a 19-year-old boy. Truly boy. I lost 19 again today, abandoning himself to the wasteland we offhandedly call the system. And he just walked away casually like it was no big deal. Where I'm a judge, black male and 19 is required to face the same dilemma every day. Do I work and wait like mama said, or do I join the party down the street? And forced to choose before the calm sets in, 19 picks the wrong one. And next thing you know, he's standing right before me, wondering what all the fuss is about. I'm a, I'm a municipal judge handling minor matters. I deal with assault, drug possession, carrying concealed weapon charges. Unfortunately, the size of the cases I see confuses 19. He views his mistakes as a little thing that doesn't warrant much concern. What's with making me look for a job, he asks. Why do I have to go back to school in order to stay out of jail? I'm fighting to keep this boy from becoming a statistic. He doesn't even care. So I plead not for 19 to obey the law, but for him to do right by me. And just yesterday, one asked me to stop bothering him. You're not my mother, he said. Why are you messing with me? Just let me do my time. They tell me it ain't no thing. But more often than not, the phrase I hear is calling is chilling. I can jail. Consider the sisters in your life, I say. It's not always about you. Then I remind them that whether he understands it or not, when you jail, we jail too. It's great. I mean, I love that message, clearly. 
which which direction are we going to go? You know, I, I, the, the lack of value for human life, right? That you can see someone knocked out cold in the street and laugh at them. You know what it is? It's a lack of opportunity, a lack of education, and a lack of fathers. I'm just going to lay it out there. That's all it is. It's a lack of educa- lack of opportunity, lack of education, lack of fathers. And as the divorce judge said, you know, there's a choice that a 19-year-old had to make at one point in life. Am I going to work or am I going to party? You know, maybe work wasn't even an option for him. Lack of opportunity. Maybe their education failed them and there was no j- opportunity to get a job even if, if there, there was one because they don't have the ability to hold that job. In that case, partying is the only option. Maybe there was no father so they would never let in the right direction. Lack of education, lack of, lack of opportunity, lack of education, lack of father. That's the problem. Are we going to solve it? Let's do it together. Mike Slater Show. Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slider Crusade is America's the greatest country in the world. We've already done so much today. Um, talked about immigration. I want to do a little more of that later. Uh, talked about the culture competition, not the culture war, the culture competition. I want to, I want to sort of stay on that and just talk about how powerful uh, who we're competing against really is. The great Mark Stein in 2000 was on the floor of the Democratic Convention in Los Angeles. And to start things off, they introduced some Eagle Scouts for uh, to present the colors, right? A little honor guard with, with some Eagle Scouts. Now, Eagle Scouts, I mean, what, what do you think of when you think of an Eagle Scout? That's an incredible honor. If you're an Eagle Scout, I mean, you, you are cream of the crop. Is that still an expression? People still say you're cream of the crop. Leadership, character, service. What's the Boy Scout that says, uh, on my honor, I'll do my best to uh, do my duty to God and my country and to help others at all times. All right? You're a scout. You're, you're loyal. You're, you're courteous. You're obedient. You're brave, you're reverent, you're cheerful, right? These are all good things. These are what scouts are. And if you're the Eagle Scout, it's good as it gets. So when the Eagle Scouts were, were, uh, were, were called to present the colors at the Democratic Convention in 2000, everyone in the section that Mark Stein was sitting in booed. They booed the Boy Scouts. And Mark Stein is thinking, these people are nuts. You're booing the Boy Scouts? Who are presenting the colors, by the way? What is wrong with you? Here's the thing, though. That was uh, 15 years ago. The booers won. Took them about 10 years. But the scouts were isolated and then vilified. You remember this controversy? Yeah, how long? Uh, when did this When did it, like really come to a head? It was like five years ago, maybe. 
Disney cut them off. Uh, schools and, and certain churches wouldn't let them meet in their spaces anymore. Corporate sponsors dropped. And it's not because Lockheed Martin hates the Boy Scouts, right? It's because they were bullied by a small minority to cut ties with a hate group. And in the end, the Scouts caved. But it didn't matter because it was too late at that point. They were already vilified. And this is the key. This is why I bring this up. Uh, Ezra uh, Levant, he says that the Boy Scouts, and this is a great word. We're going to hear this word a lot more come, moving forward. The Boy Scouts were denormalized. Denormalized. Right? They were denormalized and banished to the fringe. And what mom would want to sign their kid up to join an extremist fringe organization? So think about what they did. Think about what they were able to accomplish here. They took the Boy Scouts. We're like, as Norman Rockwell, mainstream, Main Street USA of an organization as there has ever been in America, and turned them into a hate group. The Boy Scouts. Boy Scouts is it's a synonym for the good guys. Right? So look what happened in the culture war. They took something that's as American as baseball and apple pie and for the love of Pete, I will do the best of my duty, Scouts honor. They took the good guys and made them the bad guys like that. That's impressive. Yesterday at the end of the show, I asked, what is taboo in America today? Serious question, what's taboo? I don't know. I don't think there's much of anything. Uh, it used to be taboo to have sex out of wedlock. It used to be taboo to have kids out of wedlock. Shacking up, right? All those things used to taboo. It used to be taboo. Now nothing is. Think about this. I think, what day is it? Day? Thursday? This is either Monday or Tuesday. Naval Air Station, North Island, Coronado, right? Had their first gay pride parade on the military base. Why? Why? Why is your sexual preference something to celebrate on a military base under any circumstance? I will never understand that the point of the military is to make you the same, not to flaunt your fabulousness, right? You are you shave your head, you wear a uniform, you fall in line. The point of the military is to break you down and make you all one and the same, make you unified. So why celebrate something that separates you in any way, let alone that way? I just I think that's so strange. So nothing is taboo anymore. Because think about this. I don't want to strain to dangerous territory here, but... Okay, I'll do it real quick. Think about what being gay actually means. Think about what it actually means. Not like, oh, well, you you like fashion and you, you know, you're well groomed. I don't like. What, not, I'm not talking about the stereotypes of gay people. Think about what being gay actually means, and you're going to celebrate that on a military base. That, that act of what being gay means, you're going to celebrate that on a military base and be proud of that? Nothing's taboo anymore. Nothing. I think the next thing that won't be taboo 
is cheating on your spouse. Adultery, which they don't even call it adultery anymore. What do they call it instead? Reality TV. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, (laughs) Having an affair. Right, so they've already lightened the word. It's been away for a while, right? But it's it's a little, little, little more, a little less intense than adultery. You're having an affair. Nice little euphemism there. But I don't think adultery will be taboo anymore because who are you to judge? Monogamy's for losers. So it won't even be, you know, just like cheating on your spouse won't even be something that you're not supposed to share, that you're not supposed to talk about, that's not supposed to be like, oh, good for you. So sort of like we've talked before about how when the insane is normal, the normal is insane. When the taboo is mainstream, then the mainstream becomes taboo. Look at the Boy Scouts. The Boy Scouts. You're not even supposed to mention the Boy Scouts in polite company anymore. The Boy Scouts. You like In 2000, even the leaders of the Democratic Party were like, I don't know, we should have someone present the colors. That's a great idea. Who should we have? I don't know. The Boy Scouts brought them out. They got booed. Right, like, what the heck? So there's something that's mainstream that's now, boo, boo, Boy Scouts. Whoa, if that can become taboo, if, the, if Boy Scouts can become taboo, <laughs> what else are we going to do? All right. What's next? What do we do now? We do what we do best. We live our life. We live our life and we, we take the pledge that the Boy Scouts have made for a hundred and whatever years. I will do my best to do my duty to God and my country. To keep myself, uh, I don't forget the rest goes. To keep myself physically, I was not a scout. My dad was though. Excellent at tying knots. Uh, to keep myself physically strong, mentally awake, and morally straight. That's what we got to do. I found a uh, picture from something like 1850. And it's beautiful, beautiful, beautifully laid out diagram. I guess it would be one of the first infographics. And in the center, it says character is power. And it lists maybe 30 different character traits that are essential in a well-lived life. In other words, a, a cheat sheet. It's a cheat sheet. It's an answer sheet right there. My, uh, my wife's mom used to teach health class in a, in a high school. And the night before the test, she would give the kids the test. Okay, She would say, Here's the, here, take this paper home. This is the test. I will give you this exact same thing tomorrow with blanks. All you have to do is fill in the blanks. Here's the test. This is your answer sheet. Take it home. I will give you the same thing tomorrow. People would still fail. She was flabbergasted that people would continue to fail every year after giving them the test. Same thing with us. We have our answer sheet. We have our answer sheet. Integrity, consistency, the truth. I mean, they're all, we know these values. We know. So let's stick with them. Even when you're going to get booed. Like the Boy Scouts. I got a story I want to share next of a valedictorian at a high school. And she got picked on because of her dad's profession. And neither of them cared 
They wouldn't let the booing. They wouldn't let the picking on. They wouldn't let the mocking, the laughing, the staring, the rest. Beat them or stop them. Neither of them cared. And in the end, they both won. We'll tell you that story next on the Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. the next generation of talk radio. Slider Crusaders, thanks for being here. I want to talk about Jamal. When uh, Jamal was 12 years old, he did not have a lot of electronically delivered amusement. The local army official in his village said that he was going to kill all of the children of the rebel fighters. So every night, Jamal's mom would send him to someone else's house to sleep to avoid being captured and killed. Now, he finally was captured, but it wasn't until he was 18. And he wasn't killed. He was sent to join that military, a military he never wanted to join, to fight in a war he didn't want to fight. He was a child soldier. I guess he was 18 at the time, but still against his will. This was in Ethiopia. A few years later, he was able to escape to Somalia and eventually made it to America. This weekend... His daughter is graduating as the valedictorian of her high school in New York. And people at her school know her dad because he's the school janitor. They know her dad, but they don't know his story because he says his past doesn't define who he is. His actions today define who he is. When Jamal was growing up in Ethiopia, there was no school. But even if there was, his family needed him to protect the family's banana crop from hyenas and monkeys. And when the bananas didn't grow, when they had a bad season, he and his brothers would go into the city and beg. A school did open up when he turned 14. And he really wanted to go. He wanted to learn to read. And his mom wanted him to go to school and learn to read. But his dad wouldn't let him. He had to work. When Jamal made it to America, he worked every single job he could. Eventually, working his way up and 10 jobs in, landing the gig as the school janitor at night. At night, he would work in the school. During the day, he would work in a school to earn his bachelor's degree. And when he got it, he cried and he said, I wish my mother was here to see this. Education has to be key. If you want to survive, you need to have education, but also there is no limit what you could do to educate yourself. I can't see them failing. I, I didn't know she's a valedictorian, but I said, you will be on the top. You need to, you need to be who you are, believe in yourself. If you don't do, you're not, you're not going to succeed. But if you do work hard, you're going to succeed. That's what it is. That's why I'm, I'm very, very proud of them. More of that, please. <laughs> If you do work hard, you're going to succeed. That right there is the truth. I love this story because, and, and I want to share it here. We got to take time doing this stuff because 
We need to be reminded of this truth. In this upside-down world we live in where, correct me if I'm wrong, the goal seems to be to work less, to strive for less, to find excuses and then run to the federal government to cover you, right, and, and, and supply you for your needs and your wants. In that country we're living in right now, we need to hear someone say, if you work hard, you're going to succeed. We need to hear that. We've talked before about the, um, what are they called? Uh, not the Pacific Legal Foundation. They're the good guys. Who are the people in the schools? Pacific Educational Group. Thank you. Pacific Educational Group. Saying, you can't say. Oh, no, I'm sorry. This, I'm, this isn't Pacific Education. Was it Pacific Educational Group or was it the University of California that says, you can't say that hard work is the key to success? <clears throat> Each have their own microaggressions that you're not allowed to say. And I forget if it's the University of California system or Pacific Educational Group, which has infiltrated every school district uh, across the entire state. Either way, not good. So it's good to hear every once in a while someone say, no, 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 if you work hard, you're going to succeed. Now, what does succeed mean? I love this line from um, his daughter. A couple years ago, they went to go visit Ethiopia. And this is what she said. She said, before this visit, my parents told me stories about Africa. But I never understood it until I went there. I was a student who did not value my education and take advantage of the opportunities that were accessible to me. But my relatives' lives opened my eyes and revealed, ready for this? Revealed my privilege. Your privilege. She's black, obviously. But realizes that she has privilege. But it's not white privilege. It's American privilege. And we all have it. But here's the key. Notice how her privilege, her acknowledging her privilege, did not cause her to go into a guilt spiral. It didn't cause her to be ashamed of herself and ashamed of her privilege and ashamed of her hard work. No, it motivated her to serve other people. The whole privilege movement today is you have privilege, you should pay up, right? You should feel bad. You need to, you can't even talk about certain things because of your privilege. And this girl says, yeah, I, I got privilege. All right. Which is why I'm going to work hard so I can serve other people and make their lives better. That's as good as it gets right there. there, there there's, there's so much deceit thrown our kids away. It's all, it's so bizarre. But everyone knows deep down that hard work is the key to success. I'll end with this quote from Jamal. He says, education has to be the key. There's an obstacle always, and there'll be problems. But if you choose to fight, you overcome obstacles. There's no other way. There's no other way besides success. And when children are achieving, it's a beautiful thing. What's the other option? Striving and doing what you can is what you have to do. Failure is not an option. Jamal for president. <laughs> Much more of that. 
Those are American principles right there. Those are American values. It's capitalism. Hard work, key to success. That's what allows people to reach their full potential. So why are we in this country running away from that truth? We're not. Why are we letting people tell us we should run away from the truth? one 93 I want to come back, speaking of the truth, I want to come back and tell one of my all-time favorite stories. I, I hate that, that there's a reason to share this story, but... Ah, what am I saying? It's 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 always a good time to share this story. This is the story of following your conscience. And I think we need stories like this to know that we're all capable. No, not we're all capable. We all must follow our conscience. Tell me. Mike Slater, show the blades. Radio Network, spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, in the last couple of weeks and, and on my local show in San Diego, we've been talking about religious liberty. And not just for religious people, but it's really freedom of conscience. We all have one. Right? We all have inside of us something that tells us what is right and what is wrong. And when someone of authority says, you must do this, we have to be free to follow our conscience and say no. And when someone says, oh, you can't do this, we have to be free to follow our conscience and say, I must. Because without that ability, we are, we're, we're just subjects to the authority telling us what we can and cannot do. And, and that's, that's not what we do here. This is the story of Nicholas Winton. The man who followed his conscience. British man living a, a fine life. He was a stockbroker. He was 29 years old, making good money. December 1938, he was going to go on a skiing vacation to Switzerland. But at the last minute, he canceled that trip and instead flew to Prague. Why? Because the Nazis just invaded. He landed, which doesn't really quite seem like a reason to go there, but he did. Uh, He landed in a country that was nearly entirely physically destroyed and emotionally about the same state, a, a hopeless place. And there was really only one way out. There were some trains that were still operating to England. And Nicholas's goal was to get as many kids on that train as possible to London, away from the Nazis. Quite a goal. How much experience did he have doing such a thing? Absolutely none. None at all. Now he encountered a couple roadblocks. Uh, British officials would not let him put kids on a train to England. Because who is he to do that? 
So he took a letter from an established refugee organization and typed underneath it children's section and named himself the chairman. This got him through the bureaucracy and the government accepted him as a legitimate organization. But then the government told him that he couldn't send kids to England unless they had a family to go to. So he made a book, made multiple books of children with pictures of the kids to adopt. Sent them off to his mother who was back in England and she passed them around. So a bunch of families decided to take in these kids. Usually they were Christian families taking in Jewish children. And the government said, okay, fine, but they were slow to issue any travel documents. So Nicholas had them forged too. And he did all of this from his office. And by office, I mean desk in his hotel room in Prague. Parents found out what he was doing. Parents would line up outside the hotel, desperate to get their children on one of these trains to England, even though they knew that they would never see their kids again. The lines of parents got the Gestapo's attention. And when they would question him, he would pay him to leave him alone. The first train was set to leave. Imagine this scene. You got parents on the platform pushing their kids on this train. Some of them would tell their kids that, oh, just, you're going to London. You're going to have a, a vacation there, a holiday there for a few months is all. And we're going to come and we're going to visit you soon. Knowing that they would never see their kids again. Imagine, just think about putting your kid on a train, five, six-year-old daughter, putting them on a train, knowing that that's the last you'll ever see them and knowing that in a few days or weeks you are going to be killed yourself. That scene at the train station happened eight times. Eight train loads of children left for England. And the only reason it wasn't nine or more is on September 1st, 1939, Hitler invaded Poland and the borders were closed and the train stopped. Nicholas went back to England, served in the war, and afterwards went back to work and on with his life. Fast forward to 1988, his wife was rummaging through the attic and found a scrapbook. And it was a book full of names and pictures and letters and travel documents of strangers. She asked what this was. That was the very first time that Nicholas told anyone what happened. It was 50 years later. 50 years he never told anyone. He was on a BBC show uh, just a few months ago. This right here, this is why freedom of conscience is so important. I think what you've just told me encapsulates your attitude then and maybe through your life that you were determined to follow through and act on what you believe to be right. I can't see what other act one can follow. You can only act what you yourself feel is right. But so many people might feel what is right, but not have the, the courage or the energy or the commitment to act upon it. But you do. Yes, well, that's their fault, not mine.
the year his wife discovered what her husband had done 50 years earlier, she went to uh, BBC, told them what happened. So BBC had him on one of their TV talk shows. And Nicholas sat in the front row. Think of it like, uh, like, like Oprah, right? So like you had that audience, the stage in the front, audience in, in the back. And Nicholas sat in the front row of that audience. And on the stage, the host started turning through uh, his scrapbook. And she started talking about some of the 669 children that he saved from the Nazis. All the letters. Back here is the list of all the children. This is Vera Diamant, now Vera Gissing. We did find her name on his list. Vera Gissing is with us here tonight. Hello, Vera. And uh, I should tell you that you are actually sitting next to Nicholas Winton. Hello. <laughs> Think about that. You have this whole crowd of people, Nicholas in the front row, sitting next to a nice lady. It turns out that woman that he was sitting next to was one of the children who he saved 50 years earlier by working with her parents to put her on a train and send her to London. He was, she was sitting right next to him. He had no idea. She did and how she kept it together, right? How, how she didn't break down, I'll never know. Imagine that you, you do this act, you save these lives. You don't tell anyone. 50 years later, you meet the person whose life you saved. But that wasn't it. And this is a moment, and I've seen this video a few times, and every single time I watch it, I, I, I just absolutely break down. Can I ask, is there anyone in our audience tonight who owes their life to Nicholas Winton. If so, could you stand up, please? The entire audience stands up. The entire audience. People who owe their lives to the actions of Nicholas Winton. 669 people and now thousands of more kids and grandkids due to the actions of one man on a three-week vacation to Prague. The famous quote from the now Sir Nicholas Winston, Win Winton is if something's not impossible, there must be a way of doing it. And Winton reminds us that this world, it, it doesn't just need people who refrain from hurting others, but it needs people who passionately seek out ways to help those in need. Nicholas Winton passed away on Wednesday at the age of 106. You say, oh, that's old. Winton said, those who love deeply never grow old. They may die of old age, but they die young.
Nicholas Winton, the man who followed his conscience. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. Eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Mike Slater is on. What an amazing story of Nicholas Winton. What an amazing man. I want I want to play a uh, short clip here from a video with uh, Nat Hentoff. Uh, Nat is a lefty, but or was a lefty. He was a lefty until the left left him. Uh, he's a liberal and means it, which now makes him a conservative. It's very confusing. Uh, but he is has been the strongest defender of freedom of speech that there is. He's 90 years young now, and I love this clip right here. I don't know how many of these students know, and this really struck me when I was a kid. Seven years after the first part of the Constitution was agreed to, the president, not George Washington, but his successor, John Adams, got Congress to pass a bill that, and I will read you the text because it's still unbelievable to me. It, the Alien and Sedition Act made it a crime for American citizens, now dig this, to print, utter, or publish any false, scandalous, and malicious writing, unquote, about the government. Seven years after the first part of the Constitution. Well, that tells you, or it should tell you, in view of the, re- the, the history afterwards, it's very hard to keep us who we are. And without exaggeration, where we are now is the most perilous time we've ever been in. Isn't that amazing? That John Adams passed the Alien and Sedition Act. John Adams! Ah, just goes to show you that in the heat of the moment, you know, anyone can abandon their principles for reasons that you think are completely legitimate and essential at the moment. But, I mean, John Ad- if John Adams could have made that mistake seven years after the Constitution, gosh, it's not only possible for us to lose our way, it's, it's probable, absolutely probable. Hence Ben Franklin's warning that uh, we've made you a republic if you can keep it. We have to work perhaps harder than ever to keep it. Um, I don't have time to fully explain this, but have you ever heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect? I'll tell you the short of it. Um, the, they, they came up with this theory that, said, that says unskilled people believe that their ability is much higher than what it really is. And the reason that unskilled people believe this is because they're so unskilled that they can't even recognize their lack of ability. And I know you know someone at work who's just like this. They're incompetent. But they get ahead. And they fail to recognize their own incompetence. So why is this a problem? Well, because the people with actual skill are humble. And they say, oh, I'm not the man for the job. I'm flattered, but I'm just not capable of that. Uh, it's really nice of you to think of me, but there's got to be someone else who's more qualified instead of me. So qualified people don't do things. <laughs> it, it, it's the delusional idiot who says, you know, I'll run for president. 
the Dunning Kruger effect. Shakespeare said in, in As You Like It, he said, The fool doth think he is wise, but the wise man knows himself to be a fool. We have a society that is unfortunately more than willing to hand over authority of their lives to the government. And we have absolutely unqualified fools who think they are our saviors, who are more than happy to take that power you're handing over and royally screw everything up. The Dunning-Kruger effect. So two conclusions from that, if you'll let me. We have to stop handing over so much power to Washington, D.C. Number one, naturally, of course. But number two, you are the one who is supremely qualified to save our country and to raise your children and to strengthen your marriage and don't let anyone else, most importantly yourself, tell you anything otherwise. And the fact that you don't think that you're the man for the job is precisely why you are. 1-888-900-3393 in Slater Radio on Twitter. If I could invite you to our Facebook page, we posted a video that is our fastest growing YouTube video that we've ever made. It's about Charleston. And again, people who stepped up and decided to take back the narrative and save our republic. Search for The Mike Slater Show on Facebook. It's The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here today. I hope you've had a great Saturday so far. Um, I, I, I haven't mentioned this all week. I apologize. Or all, all day here. I apologize. Um, I am uh, really fired up. So my really my career goal getting into radio was to fill in for Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck was the reason I got into talk radio in the first place. So that was my uh, like my life mission, right? Um, I want to fill in for the guy who inspired me to get into talk radio in the first place. And last Labor Day was my first shot at it. And it was awesome. It was a dream come true. Now, here's the thing, though. My dad always said that you can tell if you did good if they invite you back. And I just got word the other day that I'll be filling in for Glenn on July 23rd and 24th. So uh, a couple weeks from now, and I'll give you another update before then, but super excited about that. So uh, thank you to to Glenn and and the team for giving me that opportunity. I bring that up because uh, Glenn was the reason I got into talk radio, but the first conservative book I ever read, let me reword that, the first introduction that I ever got to the concept that, hmm, maybe everything that people are telling me isn't true. (laughs) Maybe we should ask some more questions about things. Uh, The first book I read was uh, Slander, Liberal Lies About the American Right by Ann Coulter, who is with us right now because she has a new book, Adios America. Ann, how are you today? Fine, thank you. What a great introduction. Well, it's really an honor to talk to you. I've been wanting to for a very long time, so I thought this would be a good excuse to. 
Yeah. Um, what and what's your mission? What are you doing? Big, I'm not, not even talking about this book. What's your goal? <laughs> How so? We only have a few years left. It's about not to be the United States of America anymore. It's going to be Mexico. Um, and I, I didn't want to live in Mexico. Uh, neither did the immigrants who moved here rather than deciding to immigrate to Mexico. Um, they wanted to live in America. The only people who don't seem to want to live in America are politicians and the rich who prefer the cheap labor and couldn't care less if America continues or not. So when you say save the country, I'm with you. How do you define the country? And I don't want to get too philosophical here, but the country is more than just a boundary, right? So how do you define that when you want to right, save it's it? Americans. It's our way of life. It's a country that where incest, gang rapes, um, incest, uh, um, rape generally, um, drunk driving isn't rampant, but there aren't, where there aren't massive um, Medicare frauds, Medicare schemes, Internet hacking, these are not Native American habits. I thought liberals cared about, about the treatment of women. But no, we're going to be like, like any other third world country, bankrupt, poor, um, probably more like Brazil, because we'll still have a very rich top 10%, and the rest of us will be their servants. Okay, I want to ask you some questions here that, that I have trouble putting together in my brain. Okay, so a couple things. We had a, uh, a gentleman call in, a World War II veteran. His grandparents came here from Ukraine and told this amazing story, made it to Amsterdam, came yeah, to America. This has nothing to do with anything well, in my book, so let me cut you off right there. Okay, but I guess— 1970 I, immigrants are a completely different order of business how from so? post-1970 immigrants. That was going to be my this question. There's a specific plan to change the country implemented by Teddy Kennedy's 1965 Immigration Act, and oh boy, has it worked. And we know it. This, is, this was the plan, because dem now that we're close to the tipping point, Democrats admit it. Democratic consultant Patrick Reddy calls the 1965 Immigration Act the, the Kennedy family's greatest gift to the Democratic Party. And the longtime Democratic consultant Roy Teixeira in Texas has been writing books about it. He just openly says, ha ha, white America, this is George McGovern's revenge. Obama never would have been elected but for the post-1970 immigrants. Pre-1970 immigrants um, got more education, made more money, bought more homes. Post-1970 immigrants, um, none of that is true. They are far more likely to be on government assistance than the native-born, not, not than even the pre-1970 immigrants who were fantastic, um, but, the, but, but than the native-born. Why would any country be bringing in people we have to help? Our immigration policy acts as if our country is a gigantic battered woman's shelter where we search the world and find the poorest of the poor to bring them here and take welfare, welfare that's meant for America's poor. We bring in criminals, if, if nothing else. Can't we say no felons? Um, no, no, we can't. Uh, and and it's not it's not um, just Latin America's poor. It's not just Mexico's poor. It just happens that... Um, Mexico has a peasant culture that's within walking distance of the United States. Mm. So that obviously overwhelms it. Um, and, and you see these peasant cultures not only engaging in shocking peasant behavior, um, such as the epidemics of gang rape and incest rape described in my book, but not described in the media. No, that's yeah. a big part of my book, how the media will, will <laughs> by hook or crook, hide when, when, when a criminal is, a, is an immigrant, yeah. legal or illegal. I don't care. They're both government policies. So are you, are you against immigration or 
this post-1970s immigration? Well, we have to shut the whole thing down right now. Um, no legal fix is going to work. There are already, for example, in light of the, the woman who was murdered in San Francisco this weekend, mm-hmm. um, as well as another illegal immigrant killing a woman um, in Texas, uh, that he happened to be killing another illegal immigrant, proving that immigration isn't just bad for Americans. It's bad for anyone living in this country um, because we are bringing in criminals and welfare recipients. Um, there are just too many groups, La Raza, uh, George Soros, Open 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 Society, Open Border Society. Um, you have all these ACLU groups just working overtime, often with taxpayer money, the Ford Foundation, Carnegie, to bring in the poorest of the poor, um, people who will. And um, um, another difference between pre-1970 immigrants and post-1970 immigrants is post-1970 immigrants are voting 8 to 2 for the Democrats. Just you, like voting back home without the without the beheadings, do, um, and and that's that's you. You've seen you're you're calling me from San Diego. Mm-hmm. You know what happens. The whole country is going to be California, where Republicans can never win another election. It's just unfathomable to me that the Republican Party, most of the Republican Party, the official Republican Party is on the wrong side of the question, should Democrats be allowed to establish their political hegemony for all time? And, yeah, Jeb Bush says yes. Marco Rubio says yes. Um, They figure, eh, I got another five, ten years in politics, and then I'll retire. But, boy, will I make a pile until then. And that's what what the very rich, all the elites in America, are are for this constant stream of low-wage, often often criminal and overwhelmingly government assistance receiving immigrants. The only people against it are the American people. Our country is being transformed. All those, all those Supreme Court decisions last year, the, the attack on, on American symbols, um, Confederate generals and the Confederate flag, none of this is conceivable without post-1970 immigration. Obama would not have been elected without post-1970 immigration. Romney would have won a bigger landslide against Obama than Reagan won against Jimmy Carter in 1980. So don't be thinking you're going to be taking it. We're going to have a big pushback now. People are so upset. Um, You wouldn't have had Sonia Sotomayor or Elena Kagan on the Supreme Court. Al Franken, the 51st vote for Obamacare, could not have been elected without 100,000 Somalis living in in, in Minnesota. We, we, since 1970, we've been bringing in more immigrants from Nigeria than from England. Amazing. And now, last point on the 1970 point, because we got a lot more to do. But you say shut it off now, shut the border off now. Is there a country where we get back to a pre-1970 immigration world? Eventually, but first we need a total moratorium, and there is nothing discriminatory about that. No one, no marriage frauds, no refugees, just shut it down, let the ACLU migrant rights group and La Raza, and on and on and on. I mean, just doing the research for this book, I came across so many of these groups, and these are the ones who go in and then man the INS and become immigration judges. Um, it's, it's just a total ca- capture of an industry. Left-wingers who hate this country and want to see it punished. Um, that's their motive. Democrats want to win elections, so they will have domination for all time. That's their motive. And Republicans, they just want the, camp- the Chamber of Commerce money. That's their motive. Churches want the taxpayer money. That's their motive. Everyone in favor of more immigration is in it for his own reason. You will notice none of these reasons have to do with 
what's good for the United States. The American people are so so heavily on one side of this issue, including recent immigrants, who it is African Americans and Hispanic Americans who are being hurt most of all by the dump of low-wage workers on the country. It's their jobs that are being taken, not Mark Zuckerberg's, not Marco Rubio's job. No, they just get the cheap servants and then strut around like they're Martin Luther King. Talking with Ann Coulter right here. Obviously, the book is Adios America. I want to take a quick break. We'll talk more with Ann Coulter coming up next. I want to talk to her about uh, ethnic studies classes that uh, that are making mandatory here in California to go along with gay history classes as well. So we'll do that coming up next with Ann Coulter on the Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. Part of the next generation of talk radio. Slider Crusaders, thanks for being here. We're talking with Ann Coulter right now. Of course, her new book is Adios America. And thanks for sticking around. Have you had a chance to look at uh, what they have here in California? I know, and I'm sure some other states too, uh, an ethnic studies requirement for high schoolers. Have you had a chance to look at what those oh, are about? This state is so lost. <laughs> Do you, in Sacramento, and you have microaggressions. Well, oh my sure. gosh, the state, it's, uh, it's hopeless. Even if people tried to rebel after everything that happened last week, and you had, you know, Democrats saying, that's it, that's it, I will, I'm voting Republican now after Obamacare and all these other horrid decisions, gay marriage, um, the hellfire will rain down on the Democrats. Well, okay, great, great. Um, but Americans are about to be outvoted by foreigners. The Democrats have been bringing in at a million a year. I do think there's still hope, based or I wouldn't have written the book, um, based on the experience of Pete Wilson in 1994 yeah. in, in California. The demographics of California in 94 were almost identical to the, to the entire country's demographics today. And he pushed, he, he tied himself to Proposition 187, an anti-illegal immigrant measure, with titanium cords, won a huge come from behind victory um, with by time, Proposition 187 won a majority of white voters, black voters, Asian voters, 30% of Hispanic voters. The only way Democrats could overcome it was, of course, ACLU ran to court and got it overturned. Um, and, and that's why they say, oh, big mistake, Republicans, big mistake, don't do that. I think Democrats don't want Republicans doing things that cause them to win in landslide elections. But, you know, look at, look at how tr- Donald Trump, and he's not going to be our nominee, I don't think, um, he's surging in the polls by standing up for, for working Americans and American culture. Sacramento School District has 44 different languages spoken there. <laughs> That's crazy. And what would you say? There was a student uh, a week or so ago, graduation UCSD here, who walked across the stage waving the American flag. If you saw this girl in person, what would you say to her? The Mexican flag. I'm sorry, Mexican flag, yes. Yeah, Mexico's great. Go home. She's been here since she was four. Oh, gosh, it's going to be. You sure love that country, although, ooh, sure, I've taken advantage of American taxpayers. She went to these, um, to to her schools and her college with generous financial aid from the taxpayers and apparently plans to get more, quote, education. Um, But but her heart's in Mexico, so go there. All right, I just want to throw this other question by you, that um, 40% 
of Fortune 500 companies were founded by immigrants or children of immigrants. So that in the end, they're creating more jobs because they're running these big companies. I, 100% you were talking about pre-1970 immigrants. Name yep. one who was post-1970. Uh, Google? That isn't founded by, by, by post. There are four, four founders, one of whom is a white man from Russia. As I say in my book, we get the same four alleged immigrants over and over and over again cited in Silicon Valley. One is a German, Peter Thiel of, Peter, of, of PayPal. One is a Russian, a white man, um, who, and, I, and I think he came in with his family pre-1970, but he sure didn't come in on an H-1B visa or a refugee visa. Um, you have... Uh, uh, Musk, um, who's well, he's the one whose house is a white South African, half Canadian, um, and who's the fourth one that will always get cited? <laughs> Another co-Canadian, um, the co- one of the co-founders of Uber, a Canadian white man. So okay. Okay, let's take it. Let's go back to pre-1970. I wasn't going to be that racist. Um, I'd just say <laughs> shut it down um, and then return to our pre-1970 policies, which was to populate America with the countries that had traditionally populated it. Can we take one call real quick, Ann? Sure. Is that okay? Sure. Uh, we'll go to Monica. You're on the phone with uh, Ann Coulter, author of Adios America. How are you, Monica? Hi, Mike. How are you? Good. Go ahead with uh, Ann here. Well, basically, um, I just wanted to say that I totally understand part of where she's coming from, and I agree about the fact that we need conservative principles. The problem that I have with her, and I am a Mexican-American, which I consider myself American only, but if we're talking, you know, specifics at the moment, I was born in Mexico, brought here after 1970, and I am a totally productive honest, law-abiding citizen that has had her own company and has employed people. Okay, so it, she's, she's wrong when it comes to those statistics. The problem also with one having... Person, no, 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 I am not wrong. Pro- I'm not wrong. One person does not change a statistic. No, but I'm not just one person. There's a bunch of people that are like that. Well, okay, you but just, most you of just them are on welfare, st- and most of them no, are they're not. Democratic. No, they're not, and just like there's... Yes, they are. That is welfare. Just like there's immigrants on welfare, there's also a lot of hardworking people, and there's also a lot of Americans on welfare. Yes, and more immigrants are on collecting government assistance. Number one, you are wrong. It doesn't matter if there are one exception, and congratulations to you, Monica, but um, one does not make a statistic. A statistic is an average. No, but it's not just one. And the average is... Immigrants are more likely to be accepting government assistance than the native-born. Point two, we don't want a single immigrant collecting welfare. Try calling up some other country's embassy and saying, hey, can I come there? And, uh, you know, I don't have any skills, and I have a lot of kids with lots of needs. Um, I'm going to need free health care. I'm going to need food stamps. I'm going to need housing aid. Um, and if I, if I can't get a job, would you guys mind cutting me a check once a month? Any other country would laugh at you. No, we want immigrants. I, t- I totally agree. My I brother like American. you, Monica, we want immigrants like you, but we aren't right. doing that. What, what I'm saying, what's dangerous, Anne, is that when you have rhetoric, like, for example, the title of your book alone is, you know, very disrespectful. And when you say things like when Mike asked you, what about this girl with a Mexican flag? I think it was wrong. I think she should be grateful for what this country gave her. However, instead of saying what I just said, you say, oh, great, Mexico's great, go home. That kind of attitude is not helping because it's, what it's doing is it's isolating people. It's like saying your mother is fat. Then after that, 
whoever's mother's fat's not going to hear anything else other than your mother's fat. So we need to change our tone, and not to say that we need to be dishonest and we don't need to tell the no, truth, no, but we I'm have sorry, to be I smart about it. I agree with you more. Um, look, this is, this is America. The idea that Americans are supposed to be walking on eggshells and making sure no, we're no, 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 no. still There's talking, still talking. Walking on no, got the question go ahead, now. Monica. Yeah, Monica, hang on. You can, stop, Monica, stop go talking. ahead. Go ahead, Ann. This sorry. is the part where Ann talks. Um, the idea that Americans in their own home have to walk on eggshells and treat immigrants to this country like special little guests and, oh, let's be nice around the children. No, no, we didn't do anything to you. No, you should be grateful to us. You should be trying, figuring out how to make Americans think you're really peachy rather than us trying to suck up to the immigrants. It's our country. It's one thing to be walking on eggshells and being careful about, about language, about illegal immigrants, and so on and so forth. Um, the words we're not allowed to use, amnesty, self-support, it's getting to the point that Mexican is the M word. Um, it's one thing to be sensitive to the race issue when we are talking about African Americans. As I describe over and over in my book, it is solely because of the legacy of slavery and Jim Crow, by the Democrats, I might add, that Americans have civil rights laws, that America has the 14th Amendment. We do owe something to black Americans. And now we have people who set foot in this country for the first time yesterday and start demanding that we treat them as if they're black Americans. No. If you have grievances, go home and address the perpetrators. We don't owe you anything, and you owe us a thank you. What's next for Ann Coulter? Uh, trying to save the country. <laughs> Could we be on the same team in that effort? There's no point in anything you or I do, Mike or Glenn Beck or anyone else, unless unless we can do something about immigration because you're just going to keep being outvoted. And it's a pleasure talking to you. Can we do it again one day? Absolutely. Good to talk to you, Michael. Thank you, ma'am. That's Ann Coulter right there. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze. Radio Network, spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On The Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, how cool is that to talk to Ann Coulter there? Uh, hope you enjoyed that conversation. Slater Radio on Twitter for your feedback there. Uh, right now, though, I want to talk about some uh, uh, discouraging news. Not surprising, though, that one-fifth of Americans, 20%, think that clergy should be forced to perform same-sex marriage. Exactly what we said will happen next. That's, that's unbelievable. 20%. And it will only grow. And my bigger concern is the people who don't care either way, right? Like that's the 20% of people. Uh, I'm not going to convince. If, if you're, if you really think that the government should force a church to do something that is seen as a sin in that church, like I, I'll never be able to convince you otherwise. And I'm not going to waste my time. We need to convince the other 80% of people who are just like, man, you know, whatever. That, no, this isn't about religion. It's about freedom of your conscience. And that's a pretty secular idea. And on this 4th of July weekend, for the love of Pete, we should probably be on the side of not forcing people to do things that they don't want to do. By the way, 2nd of July is actual Independence Day. So happy Independence Day. But I ended the segment with saying it's an amazing time to be alive. 
because it really is. And it just hit me today that I, I don't ever want to come across like, man, these horrible things are happening. Bummer. <laughs> and then, and then, and then we're, we're watching it happen on the sidelines. They're like, oh, that's brutal. You know what I don't want to be? Speaking of videos that may capture your attention on the internet, videos of people getting in fights. Have you seen these videos of people fighting? And every video of people fighting, first of all, you have the person taking the video, but there's always people standing around watching. And then there's people standing around who are like, they'll like dance over the person who's bloody and beaten <laughs> on the ground, right? And there's people like cheering and all this stuff. It's like, I don't, I don't want to be a bystander on that. I don't want to be that guy in the video. I don't even want to be the person who's like, ah, oh, that's that's awful. Maybe I should really do something. I'm I'm really happy that you're here right now. I'm really happy that you're here when this is happening. I I wouldn't want to leave this debate up to anyone else. Because we have an opportunity right now to stand up for something. Some things that some of the greatest people in all of history have stood up for and died for. And again, on the 2nd of July, right, on our actual Independence Day, that's a pretty good notion, right? It's pretty good to be in, 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 in good company. It's exciting to be in good company. And I think it's a wonderful time to be alive. I, I came across this the other day. I'll, I'll share this and then we'll move on to the news du jour. Mm, that sounds good. I'll have that. James Clark, he wrote a book in 18... 86. And the first chapter is called How to Make the Most of Life. And he lays out four rules, and I'll just hit on rule number one. He says, in the great storms that have swept over the North Atlantic recently, again, this is 1886, there must have been bad global warming then. He said that over the great storms that have swept over the North Atlantic, a steamer from our shores discovered another ship, dismasted and rudderless, Drifting before the gale, its decks swept by terrible seas. The sailors volunteered to man a boat and go to save those on the wreck. The labor was appalling, the dangers frightful, but they succeeded and saved the lives of their fellow men. Which has made the noblest use of life? The self-indulgent Epicurean? who amuses himself with a little art, a little literature, a little criticism, and a little vapid social pleasure, or these rugged, brave hearts who bade defiance to storm and sea and brought salvation to those in despair. So here's his rule number one. To forget yourself is the secret of life. To forget yourself in some worthy purpose outside of yourself. So rule number one is forget yourself in some interest outside of yourself. I'll shut up about marriage after one more sentence here. When I say that marriage is under attack, it's not my marriage. Nothing's going to harm my marriage. We're working on strengthening. Uh, first of all, I'm working on strengthening my marriage every single day. Marriages are under attack. Just like that other boat. Dismasted, rudderless, drifting 
in the wind, right? So we're in the business of preserving something that other people will engage in and enjoy to the fullest or not. I mean, <laughs> or, or we won't and, they, and, and then they won't, right? This is a fun time because we get to prove ourselves for things much bigger than us and for something much greater than us. Anywho, enough heavy stuff. Um, what should we transition to here? <laughs> we need Armstrong and Getty transition music here to make this a little more seamless. Uh, two pieces of good news for San Diego here. Actually, we'll do three. But then we, uh, who was it again that uh, got caught cheating? Antonio Gates. That's so, another minus one point. Good news, bad news. Yeah, mm -hmm. we're still plus two, I think, at but the end of the day. What an off season for the Chargers, huh? <laughs> it just gets better. Pretty soon Carson's going to be like, eh, <laughs> never mind. You guys, you guys stay down there. Uh, three pieces of good news for San Diego. Comic-Con staying until 2018. And we talked yesterday in the 5 o'clock hour about why Comic-Con was not wanting to stay and it actually had nothing to do with the convention center. I think the convention center, the size of it is good for Comic-Con um, because it gets to spill out into San Diego, which is part of um, the essence of Comic-Con. It's part of why it's so exciting and so much fun is that it spills out into all of downtown. So convention center size has nothing to do with why they didn't want to come back. It was the hotels. The hotels average uh, rate downtown 500 bucks a night, and Comic-Con wanted them to set group rates of $300 a night, and the hotel said, eh, nah. Don't, don't really want to. We'll, we'll charge 500 I actually don't even know what the conclusion was. Mr. Miles, can you please check the conclusion of that? I, I don't know if the uh, hotel said, yeah, we'll lower the rates or not, but... Anyway, they they came to some conclusion, and Comic Con's going to be here until 2018, so that's good. So, point number one for for San Diego. Number two, Uber and Lyft can now pick up at the airport. Amazing that it took this long to happen. I uh, was reading some of the uh, taxi industry's arguments for <laughs> for why Uber and Lyft shouldn't be allowed to pick you up at the airport. It is some of the funniest stuff I've ever heard in my life. To hear a, 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 some of the taxi cartel owners talk about unfairness in an industry that they've had a monopoly on since the beginning uh, and, and it has been protected by government uh, throughout the entire time, to, for them to complain about unfairness is hilarious. And then you, you, <laughs> they talk about why it's unfair, and they're like, well, uh, Uber is unfair because uh, they're very convenient for the customer <laughs> it's like yeah that's the point uber uber and lyft are very unfair because their uh their uh their uh, 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 pricing is much lower than it is for a taxi cab yeah i know that's why people want them to pick them up at the airport in an uber and a lyft instead of with you Oh, my favorite one is, yeah, Uber, it's, it, it's, it, they say we don't mind competition, but we, we want competition on a level playing field. So how, how is it unlevel? Well, it's unlevel because with Uber, you pay through your phone and not cash. And that's just not fair. That's, well, <laughs> that's, that's not unfair. That's you guys being decades behind and them being decades ahead. They're winning. Just because they're winning doesn't mean it's unfair. 
Anyway, they're they're grass moose straws. They're 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 goners. Taxis. Good. Uh, Uber and Lyft can now pick you up at the airport. I'm sure there's a ton of regulations and a ton of stipulations, and it's actually a pilot program. So the fact that we even need to do that rigmarole is is uh, ridiculous. Uh, Miles, what do we got? Oh well, no, that's what I was going to say. Isn't it just kind of a one year trial? Yeah. We'll so even see. that, it's not even a full victory. Yeah. What, and could, looks- what could possibly be the problem? What's how is it any different I, when I call Uber and have him come pick me up than if I call my buddy who lives on Laurel Street a mile down the road? Like, what's the difference? No difference. Yeah. I'm just having to pay that guy, but I pay my I pay give my buddy lunch when next time we go out for picking us up. I mean, like, there's just no difference. So leave me alone. Third piece of good news: the desal plant in Carlsbad has finished their 10 mile pipe from the plant to the uh, San Marcos distribution point. So uh, desal is going to be uh, done in November. Here's here's why. First of all, that's good news. Uh, but also, a few months ahead of schedule and under budget. How about the, there's, there's a private company doing what it does best. Think about it. We should actually do a little more research into that. So we have this desal plant. It's owned by Poseidon Water. They have plants all over the world. They built this desal. I think it's a billion dollars. They built a billion dollar plant under budget ahead of schedule. Meanwhile, the city of San Diego built two public toilets downtown, $800,000, literally a toilet and a sink. Two Money down the toilet. <laughs> as, cl- as close to that as you can possibly. Two toilets, two sinks, $800,000. And this one private company built the largest desal plant in North America for really not that much more money, all things considered, right? Compare, you know, comparing what the two things are doing, the T-style play is not that much more, uh, but did it ahead of schedule and under budget. There's some lessons to be learned there, uh, if we will ever decide to learn them. one 800 kfm So three, three good San Diego things, right? T-style plant, closer to being reality. Comic-Con, sticking around for a couple more years. Uber and Lyft can pick you up at the airport. Things looking up for San Diego. 1-800-760-KFMB. Mm. Come back with something on this 4th of July weekend that isn't, isn't terribly good news. Uh, but I'm curious what you make of it. Sort of like this, the, the poll we were talking about where, where 20% of Americans think clergy should be forced to perform same-sex marriages. It's... 20, it's, it's 19% of everyone. I think it's 24% of people under 40. So the millennials, uh, more millennials think it's okay to force clergy to uh, perform same-sex marriages. Similar in the sense that the American people at large think one thing, but the younger generation thinks something uh, very different. Um, so that is a warning to all of us that, uh, of course, we have to hold on to the truth always, uh, but we need to put Start shining the light in the direction of, of uh, younger people. We can't lose them. It's the future. one 888 I want to come back, wrap up with immigration next on the Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network.
part of the next generation of talk radio. Slider Crusaders, thank you for being here today. I want, I want to wrap up the show with uh, immigration. We started with immigration. We'll end it with it. One thing that I don't want to get missed as everyone talks about Donald Trump is the humanitarian crisis that is the border. What percentage of women who make, who, who make the journey through Mexico to America, what percentage of women do you believe are raped somewhere along that journey? 80%. 80% of women in their journey to America are raped along the way. How can we let this happen? <laughs> the fact that the border is not framed as a humanitarian crisis to the point where immigrant rights groups, human rights groups, Democrats, the party that cares about people, women's rights groups aren't the people calling to shut down the border. It's stunning, right? In a, in a rational world, they would be the people. Let, let's just take women's rights groups. If, if we lived in a rational world, the feminist groups would be the ones saying, whoa, this has got to stop. These women coming across the border like this, they're getting raped. 80% of them are getting raped along the way. Many girls under 18 are, don't even make it to the border because they're caught up in sex trafficking and they're, they're working in brothels now. We got to stop this, this modern-day slave trade that's happening in America right now. They should be the ones. But instead, they ignore it because, as Ann Coulter said, it's all about votes. Certainly not pleasant to talk about. But and listen, we can talk about the economics of immigration. Uh, we can talk about the cultural issues and all the rest. I do want to talk about that. I don't want to ignore those either. But we can't forget, and I would like the humanitarian aspect to be, to be moved to the forefront of the immigration, immigration conversation. 80% of women are raped on the way here. Absolutely tragic. And the left doesn't care. So you know what? Let's take that moral high ground ourselves. Gladly. It's a righteous cause. Slater Radio on the Tweet Machine. Mike Slater uh, on Facebook. We have our fastest growing YouTube video yet. Uh, so I'd love for you to watch it and spread the words about what happened in Charleston a couple weeks back. And uh, again, Slater Radio on Twitter. And we will see you next Saturday. Have a wonderful day. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On The Blaze Radio Network.